0: All right, you can uh, idle your motor for a minute, but we're going to get into high gear in a hurry, so you better be ready. All right, got a lot to cover tonight. Let's have a word of prayer together. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and provision for us, and we just pray that as we study tonight this very important second appointment, we pray that you will help us to have wisdom and be able to glean from these things that we learn that which will help us in helping to disciple others to Jesus Christ, who is our teacher, and our master, and our Lord. We pray right now that you will just give us alert minds in the study of your word tonight, and we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Louis coming, uh, and uh, we would just like to take just a minute here at the beginning of our study, and if you're visiting with us tonight, if you would just wave Louis down, just hold your hand up and uh, indicate that you are a visitor. Uh, he has something he wants to hand to you, and uh, that would be a real helpful uh, thing to you. Tell us a little, tell you a little bit about the ministry that we share together, and uh, I think you'd find it of some interest. It's always good to have people visiting with us, and uh, so if you want one of these packets, just uh, wave Louis down there, and we'll uh, see to it you get one. Um, Let me um, uh, make mention of the fact that you've got quite a stack of notes that you picked up tonight, and uh, all you have to do is leaf through there, and you know that we've got before us uh, an impossible task. We're uh, not going to be able to cover all of that material. The last several pages are supplementary material, uh, uh, something that you might uh, use with certain individuals uh, in uh, helping them. Uh, It's not copyrighted, so you can copy it if you wish. uh, And uh, use it uh, and hand it out to people that you're discipling, um, anything of that nature, uh, because I think you'll find that with some people you need a sort of a question and answer type thing to kind of get them into the Word and see the importance of getting into the Word. Um, We have notes for those of you that uh, aren't up to speed on this. We have notes available for the entire uh, period of our time. Uh, nearly two years now that we've been studying this subject of discipleship. And I would just like to stress that uh, what we're giving you in these last ten uh, sessions is, is that which is only valuable if you've gone through uh, the material beforehand. In other words, you, uh, you have to realize that uh, we've done a complete exegetical study both in the Gospels and the book of Acts on the subject of discipleship And uh, that, of course, is the basis for what we're doing here. But what we're doing right now is going through ten appointments that we would hope you could have with prospective disciples of the Lord. That is, you've led a person to Christ, or someone else has led them to Christ, and you have the opportunity of sitting with them in ten sessions and uh, trying to mold and shape their spiritual life. And the first uh, session uh, we spent last week on has to do with the matter of the assurance of salvation, looking at it from a number of different aspects and using the scripture, helping them to understand assurance of salvation. Now what we're talking about tonight is an appointment with God. We're talking basically about developing the devotional life of the individual. And I would like to stress to you that this is one of of several very key uh, subjects that you want to cover with this person. If the person is to be a disciple of Christ, you must be successful in convincing him of the importance of a personal devotional life. And if some of you have spiritual uh, deficiency in your own life, I think we could easily say that it it probably relates in some way or another to the lack of, uh, of a commitment to a devotional life. Obviously, you can't teach somebody something you haven't learned any more than you can leave someplace you haven't gone. And so, therefore, you have to be very, very careful that you develop your own devotional life so that you can set an example to this individual. It wouldn't hurt for you to share some of the struggles that you may have had in really getting into the Word for yourself uh, from the very beginning. Uh, That would, of course, be an encouragement to a struggling uh, new believer. But at the same time, you must stress that this is the lifeline that the person has, and I, I hope that tonight as we study this subject that not only will it be a tool that you can use in, in discipling others, but it will be encouragement to each of you to be more faithful in the matter of your own personal devotional life. Now, we uh, generally take the tack of studying very carefully the passages of scripture that we refer to, setting the context and all of those things. And I apologize in advance that due to the speeding up of this course, uh, we're not going to be able to do that. It would take us weeks, months probably, to do that successfully. We can't spend that amount of time. We want to just tonight highlight the things that you have in your notes. We're counting on you going through and looking up the passages of Scripture more thoroughly, studying them out within their context so that you have them in mind as you share them with this person. I'm trying to give you... and. Uh, 45 minutes to 50 minutes what we would hope you would give the person in approximately 2 hours time gleaning from this material some of these things now we suggest to you that in the little booklet my heart christ's home bob munger develops the idea of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17 where it can be translated that christ may settle down and be at home in your hearts by faith in that little booklet he pictures uh, the, the individual life of a person as a house uh, where Christ comes in as the guest. And before he finishes, uh, Christ, of course, takes the title of the house as the person begins to realize the value of this one that has come into his heart and life. But when Christ comes to the drawing room of the house in Bob Munger's little uh, devotional uh, booklet, they come to the idea of an appointment with God or the idea of uh, uh, the devotional life of the individual. Let me just read it, even though you have it before you. I think it sets the tone for what we're trying to do tonight. We walked next into the drawing room. This room was rather intimate and comfortable. I liked it. It had fireplace, had a fireplace, an overstuffed chairs, a bookcase, sofa, and a quiet atmosphere. He, that would be Christ, also seemed pleased with it. He said, this is indeed a delightful room. Let us come here often. It is secluded and quiet, and we can have fellowship together. Well, naturally, as a young Christian, I was thrilled. I could not think of anything I would rather do than to have a few minutes apart with Christ in intimate comradeship. He promised, I'll be there every morning early. Meet me here, and we'll start the day together. So morning after morning, I would come downstairs to the drawing room, and he'd take a book of the Bible from the bookcase. He would open it. we'd read together he'd tell me of its riches and unfold to me its truths he would make my heart warm as he revealed his love and his grace toward me they were wonderful hours together in fact we called the drawing room the withdrawing room it was a period when we had our quiet time together but little by little under the pressure of many responsibilities this time began to be shortened why i don't know but i thought i was just too busy to spend time with christ This was not intentional, you understand. It just happened that way. Finally, not only was the time shortened, but I began to miss a day now and then. It was examination time at the university. Then it was some other urgent emergency. I would miss it two days in a row and often more. I remember one morning when I was in a hurry, rushing down the steps, eager to be on my way. As I passed the drawing room, the door was ajar. Looking in, I saw a fire in the fireplace and the Lord sitting there. Suddenly, in dismay, I thought to myself, he was my guest. I'd invited him into my heart and had come as he had come as Lord of my home. And yet here I was neglecting him. I turned and went in. With downcast glance, I said, Blessed Master, forgive me. Have you been here all of these mornings? Yes, he said. I told you I'd be here every morning to meet with you. Then I was even more ashamed. He had been faithful in spite of my faithlessness. I asked his forgiveness, and he readily forgave me, as he does when we're truly penitent. He says, "'The trouble with you is this. You've been thinking of the quiet time of Bible study and prayer time as a factor in your own spiritual progress. But you've forgotten that this hour means something to me also. Remember, I love you. I've redeemed you at great cost. I desire your fellowship. Now,' he said, "'Do not neglect this hour, if only for my sake.'" Whatever else may be your desire, remember, I want your fellowship. You know the truth, that Christ wants my fellowship, that he loves me, wants me to be with him, wants to be with me, and waits for me, has done more to transform my quiet time with God than any other single fact. Don't let Christ wait alone in the drawing room of your heart, but every day find some time when with the word of God and in prayer you may fellowship with him. Now you can see from that little story, uh, though it be an analogy, nevertheless it is something that really should speak to our hearts. The Lord deeply desires our fellowship. We have to bring the new believer to a place where he realizes that not only is this time vital for his own spiritual growth, but it is also vital to the Lord himself. The Lord desires to meet with this person so that he might sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus. So, if you're going to grow spiritually, and if you're going to bring pleasure and satisfaction to Jesus Christ, who is your Lord, then you must make time to spend time with Him each day. And so, therefore, we want to be talking about how this can be pulled together. Really, a devotional life amounts to two things. It's a matter of you talking with God in prayer, and God talking to you from his word. Those are the two sides of the coin of a devotional time or a quiet time or an appointment with God. You have to make this a priority in your life. You have to realize that it's essential, that it's vital. Frederick Franson, the founder of Scandinavian Alliance Mission, used to lay stress on four C's, constant, conscious, and contagious communion with Christ. Those things that really matter as far as our relationship with Christ. And as uh, Dr. Franson used to stress, that all of this begins with a quiet time alone with Christ. That just like with with a close friend, someone who you really care for, you long to have time alone with them so that you can talk, so you can uh, get better acquainted, and all of these things. When you meet a girl that you think is just that right girl, it's it's amazing. You know, you can always tell. When I used to work with uh, teenagers a great deal, Uh, we used to see these kids come, and they were very involved in what we were doing and all of that. And then they suddenly, a guy and a gal, begin sitting together. And instead of hanging around with the kids after after the meeting was over, man, they ran out the door. Why? They wanted to be alone. There's something about the intimacy of being alone with someone you care about that is really vital. But you see, somehow we lose the concept of that as we think in terms of our fellowship with Jesus Christ. We understand and know that Christ walks with us day by day, that he's everywhere, and that we can talk to him in a moment of time. But you see, it's vital that we spend that time alone with God. In Job 23.12, I've esteemed the words of his mouth. Job said, "More than my necessary food." In Psalm 119, verse 103, "How sweet are thy words unto my taste; yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth." Jeremiah 15:16, "Thy words were found, and I did eat them; and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart." A good many years ago, I met a dear Chinese brother. He happened to be a good friend of our uh, friend Mr. Porteus, who spent so many years in China. He was a fellow that escaped uh, from the hands of the Communists uh, sometime after the Communists took over China, and had escaped to Taiwan, and eventually had made his way to the United States. And uh, in the process of things, he, he had developed a Bible teaching ministry. And uh, from the time that he accepted Christ as Savior, when he was first challenged to get into the Word for himself, he made a policy or a little agreement with God, what he called it. No Bible, no breakfast. A very simple thing. Now, that in itself may not have been a problem, especially if you're a person like me who seldom eats breakfast. But his policy went beyond breakfast. The point was that he never would eat one bite of food until he had spent an hour with the Word and with God. And he said that there were times where interruptions kept coming, but he said his stomach was also always a faithful reminder that he had forgotten his devotions for that day. Because he refused to eat, no food would pass his lips. Now, you may say that's legalistic, but as far as he was concerned, it was a matter of joy because he felt that he needed, he, was, he, said, he said, I'm just too lazy apart from the, the, the pressure of a, something of this kind. And it would be very easy for me to go days without realizing how starved spiritually I was becoming. And so he just made a commitment. That until he had spent an hour in the Word, he would not eat. And he said that there actually were times where he would miss a whole day. And he'd be so hungry as he was thinking about going to bed. It was earlier in his career. He, he It cured him of that, you know, after a few days where he hadn't eaten at all. And he got cured in a hurry. And he began his day each day with the Lord. But he would think to himself, my, I'm tired. I want to go to bed, but I'm hungry. I'm terribly starved. And he would think, oh, my life, I have to spend an hour. And so he'd go to bed, figuring, well, I'll make up for it the next morning. And then he'd realize, oh, my goodness, you know, here I am. And I haven't, I, I, I have, I, I'm really going to have to make up for tomorrow before I can eat yesterday's meal. And, you know, I get behind that way. And he said it totally cured him of putting off his quiet time. And I remember one time that we we had him speak at an early morning breakfast. And he uh, It was a six o'clock breakfast time. And uh, I knew about this habit that he had. And sure enough, that man had been up at four o'clock in the morning praying, spending time in the Word, so that he would be prepared for the day. No Bible, no breakfast. Now, you may want to use, if you can dream up, some little gimmick like that to kind of help you and help others that you are helping. But no Bible, no breakfast. Was his policy, and the result was that he had that faithful reminder. Remember in 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17 that all scriptures God breathed, and all scriptures profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be mature, fully equipped for every good work. When I was just a boy, my father uh, made me sit down because I had pretended I was, you know, I pulled one of these shenanigans, you know, I pretended I was sick. And then as soon as it was too late to go to school, then I suddenly got well. And I remember Dad sat me down by the little oil burner that we had in our living room, and he said, Son, you're going to sit here until you learn 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And you know, even though the word study there doesn't mean study, it actually means to give diligence to, Nevertheless, there was a, that verse had a lot to do, even in my young years, of shaping my devotional life. And I was so glad, in a way, that I was being punished that way. It was a terrific way to punish me for what I'd pulled. Because it gave me a whole new perspective. And many, many times in my life and experience where I realized I really wasn't diligent as a workman of the Lord. Simply because of my own laziness and I'd put things aside that needed to be tended to. First Peter 2.2, 2, we read, Desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Remember in Psalm 1, Walk not in the counsel, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel, the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, whose leaves do not wither, and bringeth forth fruit in due season. And the man who studies, and the man who gets into the word for himself, not just simply listening to tapes or listening to messages, but getting into the words for yourself, digging out truth for yourself. It's a lifetime. It's an inexhaustible supply. You could never possibly hear enough tapes or enough messages to, to get all that God wants to teach you through the word. You'll spend the rest of your life and you'll never exhaust the resources of the Word of God. And so therefore, you, you need to realize the importance of getting into that book for your own good, for your own success, and also for your, uh, your fellowship with Jesus Christ. Mark one thirty five talks about the fact that the Lord got up a great while before day went out into a solitary place to pray. Now, if Jesus Christ found it necessary, who was the, ver- who was the very God the creator of the universe, the God-man, if he needed to get up in the morning and spend time with God alone, if he needed it, who are we to think that we can get away without some kind of a consistent devotional life? Well, now, that brings us then to the concept and the idea of an appointment with God. We've already stressed these verses that speak about the importance of it, but now we want to move out from there and ask a few questions. What and when and how do I read and how do I study and how do I pray? These, these things that we want to cover in rather survey form tonight. First of all, what do I do during a time of devotions? Well, 1 Timothy 4.13 tells us that we are to give attendance to reading. The first thing we want to do is read. We want to read. and You know, one of the things that is so difficult for people to realize is that the Word of God, just simply read, has power. Don't minimize the power of the Word in just simply reading it. But I want to explain to you that the word that is used, the Greek word that is used for reading in 1 Timothy 4.13, means far more than reading. It actually means, uh, it's the idea of to know fully. It involves reading, but it also involves going beyond reading and really trying to uh, find the meaning and understand the meaning of the text. And so both those thoughts are contained in the idea of reading. Turn with me, and we'll try to turn to some of these passages, and we'll kind of keep an eye on on the clock and, and uh, cut off... Uh, some of them if we're running out of time, but Deuteronomy seventeen. Deuteronomy seventeen, nineteen says this, and it shall be with him, and that is the word of God, the book which is before the priests, the Levites, it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life. Why? That he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all his words of this law and these statutes to do them, that his heart not be lifted up above his brethren, that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, in the end that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Now, this, of course, is speaking of a leader. But realize the fact that all of us have leadership problems. We all have our leaders in one way or another. This is, of course, the formula for the king, the leader in the nation. And, of course, we would have a whole different situation if leaders, world leaders, would abide by the word of God and read it even today. But now look over at Isaiah chapter 34, Isaiah chapter 34 and verse 16. I lament that we don't have more time to spend on each of these verses. Seek ye out of the book of the Lord, and read. No one of these shall fail, none shall lack her mate. For my mouth it hath commanded, and his spirit it hath gathered them. It's talking again about the importance even of of looking at at, uh, nature and uh, the way God works and will work in the future Kingdom Day by looking at the Word of God, reading God's Word. Look at John chapter 5, John 5, 39. Search the Scriptures, search the Scriptures. Now notice, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Not only does this verse tell us that it is proper and right, and uh, in ass- essence, it is saying a statement of fact. You do search the Scriptures. They were looking in the Old Testament Scriptures, seeking to find key and the answer to eternal life. Christ said that you'll never really fully understand that until you, until you see me as the center of it all. You see Christ as the key to the Bible. And Norm Gessler has written a real good book uh, don't have this in your notes you might want to jot it down uh, but uh, uh, it, it the title of it is christ the key to the scriptures and christ is the key to the scriptures but we need to understand the idea of looking for the lord jesus christ in the word of god as we read it so the first thing is you read it the second thing is that you want to study again first timothy four thirteen. give attendance to exhortation not only to reading, but give, uh, uh, give attendance to exhortation, encouragement, comfort, and to doctrine. Again, Second 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not, not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Look over at Acts 17. Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. It says this, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica... The people at Berea now. They were more noble. That is, they were more uh, well-born or more, more uh, noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. In that, they received the word with all readiness, or literally in the Greek, eagerness of mind. And what? They searched the scriptures. The word is anakrino, which means a careful, exact research. They studied the thing out. They searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. They heard Paul speak. They went back and listened to or or read again what they had seen in the law in the Old Testament. And they went to see if it would match up. If you would take everything that you hear, some of you that are students, if you would simply go to your Bible, after you've spent a day in classes and check out what the professor says in the light of what God's Word says, you would be kept from great error. Because there are a great many people who simply pour out human uh, rationalism and uh, the humanistic concepts and uh, they're contrary to the Word of God. See, these people, when they even heard a sermon and the best preacher of their day, the Apostle Paul, they went home to search the scriptures, see if they'd be so. That's why we like to encourage people to follow along in their Bibles. We, we, I was listening to a tape today, and you know what the guy said? The guy said, now, uh, first thing I want you to do, close your Bibles. He says, um, what I'm going to give you today, I've got to give you so much material, you're just going to have to take my word for it. Uh, what? Good grief, you know. He lost me in the first few sentences. You've got to have your Bible in hand and check it out. Is it true? Is it so? What is he saying? And see if these things be so. I'll tell you, it keeps a preacher on toes when he tells his congregation to do that. But believe me, I would far rather have you come up and say, Pastor, I think you made a mistake on this one, than to have you believe something that was not true. I appreciate some of you that are learning Greek and carrying your Greek New Testaments and checking me out. That's super. That's great. If I say it's an aorist tense and it's the present Uh, At present tense, you better tell me about it, because I have no business teaching you error. All right? And it's to be line upon line, precept upon precept. God wants us to be accurate in what we say and what we do. And so therefore, we need to have a group of believers constantly who are like the Bereans, searching the Scriptures. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatsoever things were written in earlier times were written for our learning. Learning in itself implies, implies study. That we, through the patience, the bearing under, and the comfort, the exhortation, of the Scriptures might have hope. We need to study the Word of God. We need to understand it from its doctrinal viewpoint, from its excer- exhortation viewpoint, the Word of God is valuable to us And then we also, in a time of devotions, we want to be involved in prayer. Now, I don't have to take you to all these passages, but let's look at a few of them. First Chronicles 16:11. We'll leave some of them for you to search out. First Chronicles 16, verse 11, "Seek the Lord in His strength, seek His face continually." Matthew seven seven: Asking you shall receive, seeking you shall find, knocking shall be opened unto you. Luke eighteen one, uh, again talking about beseeching the Lord and and uh, prayer. Of course, 1 Thessalonians five seventeen: Pray without ceasing. Uh, 1 Timothy two eight: I would that men everywhere would would pray, uh, pray for the leaders and pray for the king and pray for uh, all of these things. Tremendous prayer list there. We're to pray. Now these are things that are necessary for the believer and they really make up this that we we call an appointment with God. Let me say something right here. You know people say, well, I really don't I really don't think that uh, that I could spend much time in prayer. All you need is a little bit of fuel for your prayer. And what's really marvelous, you know, you all have most of you have a copy of the church directory And I just want to suggest to you that if you run out of topics for prayer, first of all, don't forget to pray for your pastor daily. Believe me, he needs it. But also, you can go right through and begin to pray for the congregation by name. And get familiar. You can pray with your eyes open. That's no problem. God's not embarrassed. You just go ahead and look at that picture. And as you're looking at that face, you pray for that individual. Now, you may not know anything about them. But you see, it'll do two things. It'll not only help you recognize them next time. You go, oh, hey, I, I remember you. I've been praying for you. Because your name's in the directory, your picture's in the directory, and I, I, I don't know who you are, but I didn't know who you are, or what you, what you do, or anything like that. But I've been praying for you. Oh, what an encouragement that is. But it also spices up your devotional life. It's tremendous to just be praying one for another. Scripture commands us to do that. That's one of the things we'll be studying in our Sunday night series when we are able to get to it. Pray. Okay? Now, the, the, the idea of reading and studying prayer, we'll be talking more about that on this lower level. But first of all, let's talk about when. When do I do this? Now, I want to say to you right here at this point, any time at all is when to do it. But do it! In other words, not everybody has the same schedule. And there are some people who, who because somebody told them they've got to get up early in the morning and have devotions, that really is probably the best time. They drag themselves out at 4 o'clock in the morning, and they sleep through their devotions, and they wonder, good night, this is futile. Now, there's just some people that are that way. And uh, if you do it consistently, you'll probably find that getting up at that earlier hour becomes a habit, and you won't feel as sleepy after you work at it a while. But uh, that being put aside, let's suppose that's not convenient for you. Most scriptures that talk about a quiet time with the Lord talk about the early morning. But there's nothing that commands us that that's the only time you can have a quiet time. So use your own judgment, but don't try to squeeze it into the end of the day. In fact, we read in one of these passages that we have here, morning, noon, and night will I call upon your name. That just about covers the whole day, doesn't it? But at least, you know, you can consider the idea of three times a day. Remember that Daniel prayed three times a day. Nobody told him he had to do that. He just spent time in prayer three times a day. He probably picked that up from the psalm that talked about morning, noon, and night, I will call upon your name, and so on. But the idea is that you want to pick a time. You study through these verses that we've given you, and you'll find that most of them deal with the morning hours, with the morning watch. The Lord Jesus Christ himself was an example of that, because he often got up a great time before day and began to spend time with his Father and uh it was uh, Jacob in Genesis 28 you remember that after seeing the Jacob's ladder he got up early the next morning and built an altar and uh early in the morning is a is a wonderful time and i think that it would be it would be probably best to try to encourage the person that you're counseling the person that you're helping try to encourage him to have the early morning hour and uh if he has a real hang-up with that for some reason or another, after he's really given it a shot, and really tried it, and he just can't seem to get anything out of anything at that hour in the morning, well, then try some other things. Don't put him in bondage to an early morning hour. Uh, Susanna Wesley uh, did not have an early morning hour uh, because she had 19 children, and uh, believe me, when she stirred, they began to stir. And so, therefore, she did not have the... The uh, early morning hour. However, she did have her quiet time faithfully. I'll mention that just a little bit later as to how she accomplished that. It might give you an idea. In any event, the time to do it is a time that you select, but pick a time and make it a regular time. Then, secondly, pick a place. Matthew six six. You want to look at that with me. Matthew six, verse six. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. Now, a lot of people have taken that, and they, they've, uh, you know, tried to fit into a broom closet or something, and it's just not a very good place for devotions. They don't have any rooms to spread out. The word doesn't mean closet. It means room, okay? So change your translation there. It's a room. It is a particular room. And uh, it had more room than the broom closet, all right? When thou prayest, enter into thy room. That is a place where there is some privacy. And when thou hast shut the door privately, pray to thy Father who seeth in se- who is in secret, and thy Father who seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now, the reason that he talks about this and being a private place is because the Pharisees were doing all their praying in public and not doing any in private. What I think the rule of thumb should be this. When you're in public, pray short. When you're in private, pray long. But utilize the room, the quiet place, the place where you can shut the door. Bill Gothard finds a spot up in the North Woods. Uh, Finney used to find, used to find a, a spot uh, out behind his house where he would pray. Jonathan Edwards, you know, had a spot where he prayed and... Uh, And he used to go out to that spot, rain or shine, winter and summer. And when they found him very, very ill, he had been praying so hard for the Indians of North America that he was sweating profusely and it melted the snow around him as he knelt. And from that he caught pneumonia and died. Well now, his place probably was not the wisest uh, from the medical standpoint. His fervency is to be admired. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And Jonathan Edwards, though he died, his work was carried on as others, as others uh, carried on in his place. But the idea is to pick a place. I mentioned Susanna Wesley. Susanna Wesley trained her children, 19 of them, so that when she pulled her apron over her head, they knew that that was quiet time. And they were told and they insisted that they tiptoe and speak in a whisper when mother had the apron over her head. Can you imagine in their little uh, three, four uh, four room house trying to find a closet that didn't have one of those 19 children in it? Obviously that she couldn't find that. But she found her quiet spot and had her children so trained That they would tiptoe and whisper when they saw the apron over Susanna Wesley's head. And she was inside there with her Bible, having her quiet time alone with God. And then, of course, she did something else very nobly. She spent individual time with each of those children every single day. Try that on for size. You have a tough time doing that with one, right? She did it with 19. Is it any wonder that John Wesley and Charles Wesley were men that were of such stature when they had a mother like that. Not only they, but the rest of the family turned out pretty good as well. All right. The third thing is make an appointment. Now, I think this is vital. Bill Gothard, you remember, talks about the fact of vowing a vow, realizing the sacredness of the vow and uh, simply vowing something short like five minutes a day or something of that sort. Some people like that method. I personally think it's far better to make an appointment with God not put it into a legalistic framework, but rather, oh, I'm sorry. How about that? I got people waving at me here. How's that? A little better? Okay. Let's be sure that you that you understand what it is to make an appointment before you go to bed each night. Make an appointment with God for the next day. Now, that doesn't mean that you have you say, well, Lord, this is the only a time I have to sleep in this week, uh, and uh, so. I'm not going to meet you at 6 o'clock like I generally do, or 5 o'clock, or 4 o'clock, whatever you're doing. Lord, I'd like to meet you I'd like to meet you at noon uh, tomorrow. And the Lord will meet you at noon, just as much as he'll meet you in the first time of the day. But the night before you go to bed, when you're saying goodnight, Lord, just say, okay, Lord, I'll meet you. And make an appointment. Mark it down in your appointment book. You know, most of us have a little seven-star diary or some crazy thing like that, you know. And uh, just mark it down, my appointment with God. And uh, when someone says, can I see you? So I say, no, I have an appointment. Is there anything wrong with that? Not at all. You have an appointment. Can I have lunch with you? No, uh, during my noon hour I have an appointment with someone. If they ask you who, tell them. Not, no problem. Set an appointment. But make it an appointment. You see, the thing about an appointment is that you, you are prone to keep it. You know, and if you have to break it, you can reset it for later in the day or something of that nature. But... Make an appointment. Make an appointment every single day with God. You'll never be disappointed because he'll always be there. And so, therefore, you, get, you build some flexibility in it. If you can teach a new Christian to do this so that it becomes a part of their appointment calendar, then it can be very helpful to them. Uh, one thing that I think is good is, you know, you women at home, uh, let the phone ring when, you, when you're in the midst of your appointment. You would with your hairdresser or with, uh, you know, if if you could afford to have the hairdresser come to your house, you know, if she's fixing your hair, you'd say, let the phone ring. I'm, you know, right now I'm busy. If you're in the shower, most of you won't jump out of the shower and answer the phone. You figure if it's important, they'll call back. And so what you do is you just let the phone ring. And uh, find that time and that place. And maybe with you businessmen, maybe it's the park down the street from the office where you work. You pick that place, and you pick a time, and you set the appointment. And if you're late, apologize to the Lord for being five minutes late, just like you would if you were five late, five minutes late for an appointment with a business associate. See? Make it a business-like proposition with God, and God will honor you for it. All right, now, how do I read? What do I do here? Well, first of all, Um, some people find it helpful to read in paragraphs. If you happen to use the New International Version or the Phillips Translation, which is not a translation at all, it's a paraphrase, but if you happen to use that for some of your time, both of those are written in paragraphs. Also, the Old American Standard, not the New American Standard, but the Old American Standard Bible is also written in paragraphs. Some other Bibles have paragraphs marked, but it's not written in paragraph form but you can read it paragraph by paragraph, perhaps just a paragraph a day, and then studying it a little, meditating on it, searching it out a bit. Uh, Another way you can do it is a chapter. Uh, If if not a whole chapter, at least so many verses a day. Uh, Don't, though, get into the habit of reading so much that you fail to listen as you read. You're not trying to get into the Guinness Book of World Records as to how much of the Bible you can read in the first month. It is a matter that the Bible is a, is a book, and particularly some books, you can only take so much. You, you have to take a bite-sized chunk, and so you want to read it and reread it. One of the things that I did that was very helpful to me uh, back in my high school days was I would read a chapter, reading through the Bible, I would re- read a chapter in the morning, and I read a chapter at night, In the morning from the Old Testament, in the evening from the New Testament. But I purposed not to leave any chapter until I had discovered some truth that I could apply to my life. So I would take, you know, uh, uh, that's where I discovered, incidentally, all of those goodies over there in the begats you know where where uh, uh, this person begat that person the other person begat the other person i really got stuck when i got over there because i thought well what in the world can i ever get out of this and that's when i began my exploration of the study of names and the meaning of names and their correlation and the way their names fit into the history of the nation and uh, wow it gets exciting so you know that's something like that you can do but i purposed that i would i would find something i could mark with a date in each chapter of the Bible. I went through the entire Bible that year doing that, marking carefully every everything there. I, that Bible that I used for that, I left on a bus in Chicago a number of years later and, oh, I'll tell you, it was one of the biggest losses that I that I ever had because it was such a treasure to me working my way through that in, in my high school years and finding something in every chapter of the Bible that I could claim as mine. And then I was going back and going over it again. And I was going to find something different. Uh, We'll talk about uh, that business in just a second here. uh, I'm going to get ahead of myself if I say too much about that at this point. Okay? Don't try to set a record, but read something each day and try to find something for your own heart. And then uh, uh, reading a book. Now, again, the idea of setting... uh, uh, The idea of reading an entire book in a prescribed amount of time has value. I think it's better to stop and meditate and study out something for you, but just reading it like you would a book. In fact, I would suggest to you that before you ever study a single book of of the Bible, like you're going to study the book of Ephesians, and I can just testify that this is what I did before I started studying the book of Ephesians, was I read it at a sitting every single day for about a month and a half before I started studying it. In other words, I'd sit down, I'd read through the book of Ephesians, and I'd go about my way. And I'd come back the next day, I'd read through the book of Ephesians, the beginning of my devotions each day. That's what I did. Read the book of Ephesians. Saturated myself for a month and a half with the book of Ephesians. So that by that time, see, I had read it 45 times at least. And then I started studying it. I started reading it in the Greek from there and uh, studying it out and doing exegesis on it and all of the rest. And so what I have in my mind is, I'm preaching through Ephesians, I have the overall picture, the, the scope of the book constantly in my mind. It's, it's set in there. And when I read, when I read like verse Sunday, uh, where we're talking about the redemption, immediately I think chapter 2, verse 1, there it talks about redemption further and, and so on. And you, go, you, you just got the whole picture, the big picture in your mind. That's the value of reading a book at a sitting. And that's another way that you can use that time well. And then I didn't put it up here and I don't know whether it got in your notes or not. But another way you can do it is read it by topics. And one of the neat one of the neat, neat books that you want to have in your library is The Treasury of Scriptural Knowledge by R.A. Torrey. Let me tell you about... Oh man, I tell you time flies. This is terrible. This is awful. Uh... But treasury scriptural knowledge, you, you turn to, a, a, t- turn to a, a verse, I just happen to have Matthew 6 still open here, and it says, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. Now, I didn't happen to check out this verse, but if you looked it up in treasury scriptural knowledge, you would find Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, and that would be your verse, and it follows down through all the verses of Matthew and Mark and Luke and all the way through. And then, what it'll say is, it would say, Lay. And they'll have four or five scripture references on the subject of lay. And so you look those up. Well, everywhere you go, you'll find one over in Genesis, and another one in in, uh, Deuteronomy, and another one in uh, the Psalms. and, uh, And in each one of those verses it says lay. And there's three or four more verses. And you can study that subject right through the scriptures, finding all kinds of things. And it doesn't trace verses that are identical. It traces ideas. That's the beauty of the Treasury of Scriptural Knowledge. It traces ideas through Scripture. Idea of redemption, even though the word redemption might not be there. Another way to do it is Thompson Chain Reference Bible. Now, for a study Bible, that's a terrific Bible to have because of the emphasis on topics. It helps you trace through various topics from Scripture. I use my Thompson Chain Reference Bible all the time simply because it's a very quick reference to finding a lot of verses on a particular subject. And if you want the verses, I don't always use all of the verses that they list. I often find others that they didn't list. But nevertheless, I refer to it because many times I'll find a little verse that I just had never noticed before. Something tucked away in First Chronicles there, you know. And, uh, and you suddenly find a great treasure uh, in that passage of Scripture. So that is how you can read. Now, another... Uh, Another thing we want to ask is, how do I study? How do you study? Three things observation, interpretation, and application. That's the easiest way for someone to learn how to begin to study the Word of God. Observation is easy. Just simply the newspaper questions that you learn in your first composition class Who, what, when, why, where? There you are. Every reporter that goes out and uh, reports on the news simply has a bag full of questions Who, what, when, why, and where? That's it. That's all he does. And you check any newspaper story, and that is what they're doing. That's the whole basis for reporting. It is a terrific basis for the studying of the Word of God. When you walk into Dr. Howard Hendricks' class at Dallas Seminary on preliminary Bible study methods, he tells his students, go home and find 25 observations from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Twenty-five observations. The guys go home, and they scratch, and they scramble. They find one, and then they find two, and they find three, and they twenty-five, and they go back over it, and back over it, and they finally come up with twenty-five observations. Oh! Come back to class the next day, and Hendricks says to them, Now, your assignment for tomorrow is go find 25 more. Ah, You've got to be kidding me. 25 more, that makes 50 in all. If I remember right, the best that anybody has ever done on Acts 1 8, as far as uh, Howie's records are concerned, is 196 observations from Acts 1 8. Now you go home and try to find 25. Okay? I want to tell you something. If you take Acts 1.8 and carefully analyze it, looking at it, what does it say? Who's it talking about? You're not talking about now primarily context. You're talking about in that verse. Whatever you can gather. In the second 25, I think he lets them conclude the context, at least in reference to the context. But you pick that thing apart. And ye, he, There's an observation. This is speaking to to individuals. He shall receive. What does it mean to receive? You go on and on and on. It's amazing when you apply these questions, just asking the questions, who, what, when, where, and why, amazing what you can get out of a text. There's a verse in Nehemiah that uh, uh, one of the assignments is to go home and find 50 observations in that verse, in the book of Nehemiah. It's just a little dinky verse. It's tremendous. You bombard the text with questions. That's the key to it. Ask him. Ask questions. Now, mind you, he's going to ask questions he can't answer. And he's going to be asking you those questions because you're trying to help him. All right? So that's observation. That's what it is. Next, interpretation. Here's where you begin to use translations. You can use commentaries. You can use word studies like Vine's Expository Dictionary and New Testament Words. And you should encourage him to purchase that. That's If he has a Bible, that's the second book he should buy after the Bible, his, his vines. Get him one. Buy him one. Spend the money on him. It wouldn't hurt a bit. But for goodness sakes, make sure he's got one so he can begin to do word studies. That has to do with interpretation, going beyond just the observation stays into interpretation. And then application. Now, Jim Wright, a friend of mine, uh, developed this concept. It's being used by all kinds of people. University uses it. Navigators uses it. Uh, and Jim was with Navigators for a while, and so they picked it up from him. But he was originally with Youth for Christ and devised this method of, of bringing out of a text application. It's simply this. Look for a promise to claim or a command to obey or a warning to heed or a prayer to echo or a path to walk or an example to follow. And you can find those things in the text. So read through, and then just see if you can mark that. In fact, it wouldn't hurt to teach them to mark those things in the margin of their Bible. Just mark down, PC, promise to claim. CO, command to obey. And just mark those down. Then they have a record of what they found in the text. And when they go back over it, they can find other things. These are things that bring us to the point of real application in our own lives. And so that is how they can study. Now that's only a scratching surface, obviously. But it does give you a beginning at least. Now, how do I pray? Well, one thing they need to know is that prayer is talking to God as you would to a father who has infinite resources at his disposal. And I suggest to you that you begin now with a prayer log. Do it yourself. And then, then after you do this, then teach them how to do it. If you know how, then you can can do it very adequately mark down in columns your prayer list put down the date put down what you requested from god now be careful of your requests because we are to pray in accordance with god's will praying in accordance with god's will is praying in accordance with god's word so put here a promise that you claim at the time that you pray that way you're hanging your faith upon God's word. Then mark down the date when the thing is answered and give God time to work. Don't ex- don't say the next day well he didn't answer so you mark it off. No, you pray persistently. In fact, I often will suggest to people, I didn't happen to put it on here, but I'll suggest to them that they mark down each time they pray about this particular request. You know why? People come to me and they'll say, uh, "Well, pastor, you know, I've been praying earnestly for a year. For a life partner, and God hasn't supplied yet. You know where, What's God doing? And I'll say, "Oh, well, really? How many times in this year did you really pray that way?" Well, I can think of it at least once. You know, remember we we're to importune God in prayer, and I don't think we know how to importune God. God doesn't importuning God is not just saying, "Lord, I need ten dollars." And then saying, well, you know, I guess the Lord didn't want me to have the $10 because it sure didn't come. No, you say, Lord, I need that $10. You know I need that $10. I have a claim that, that you will supply all my need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Lord, I have this need. This need can only be relieved, as I see it, by $10. And I need this. And then you pray again and you pray again. And you keep marking down how many times you prayed. The frequency of your prayers. You might be surprised at how seldom you really have asked God you certainly have not importuned him. But this is, this is a way to keep a prayer log. Some people call it a prayer list. I prefer the words a prayer log. And uh, it is a prayer list, but it is a prayer log. It's keeping track of that which God brings and blesses into your life. All right, now that will help them effectively pray and learn to pray specifically, which is very, very important. Again, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now that ought to fill in a little bit of time. People say, I can't have devotions for an hour. If they'll just do this, you can take more than an hour, and you can, you can get so delighted and so excited about it, you won't want to quit, and you can hardly wait for your appointment with God the next day. I think that you'll find that the new believer will probably at first at least, be diligent. But if you teach him to utilize all of these methods, then you will find that he will maintain that diligence. I'm right now in the process of reading the book by Jim Elliot, or, or I should say the the law, the, the, the uh, journal of Jim Elliot, which now has been put in print by his wife. Uh, Jim, of course, was killed by the Aki Indians uh, in um, Ecuador and uh, only recently his wife has published his journals. And what it was, was Stephen Alford one day, uh, and I've heard this message by Stephen Alford, and it's really a winner, he challenged a young group of students at Wheaton College to begin keeping a journal of their experience with God, keeping a notebook and a journal of the various things that they learned from Scriptures. In other words, they took a, and made a notebook out of observing, interpreting, and app, uh, applying Scripture. And Jim Elliot just simply wrote down a little thought that he gained from a particular passage of Scripture each day, and this was preserved. And after he died, you know, this has been kept uh, close to his wife's heart, and she finally has published it now. And boy, to just walk with Jim Elliot—you know, he that be wise will walk with wise men—and he was certainly a wise man. He had tremendous insight into the Word of God. Began this his junior year of college, and continued it in years to come. And you have really a history of, from his junior year of college right to the time just a few days before his death when that journal uh, that journal ceased because his life ceased. But you see, we need to learn to have some kind of a means to maintain this interest in the Word of God. As far as an assignment at, after this session is concerned, of course the major assignment is to get them to start having appointments with God. Again, you might want to give them some scripture verses to memorize, and then encourage them to select some of their own to memorize from some of the things that they're reading. And then, again, assign some more reading. Uh, you've already assigned, we talked about it last week, assigned getting them started in First John and in the Gospel of John. And now uh, you can share with them, okay, now, uh, I, I'd like you to read that second, the, the second uh, 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 chapter, Uh, five verses a day or whatever and uh, but also select some other passages that you would like to read where you can begin to study some of those things